Hello and welcome to Read This Fucking Book, episode 17. We're reading Foreigner by C.J. Cherry. I'm Rachel. I'm Elena. And I'm Eli. So we have a guest today. That's Eli. Hi, how are you? I am doing great. I'm doing great. Yeah, Eli has been a guest on uh, the Fire and Lunch pa- uh, podcast before, and he was. Have you done RTFB yet? Actually, I can't remember. No. no. Nope. No. I well, I just listen. <laughs> well, Eli is our cosplay pal uh, and generally very good about doing whatever we tell him to do, <laughs> in terms of <laughs> including so like, reading hey. books. Yeah. I guess I'm a fucking of- follower. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Yeah, I guess we know where your man she lies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no, I just it's uh, I don't actually know that many people that read Foreigner, and you are one of them. So as a perspective, as a, a current reader, you're not all the way through the series like I am yet. And then Elena is our new reader. I thought it'd be a nice kind of uh, good three number to go over this this book. You have to be a felicitous. This it is an auspicious number. Yes. Uh, so yeah, before we get into the book, though, like, what's up? How are you guys doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Oh, uh, yeah. Any, I, I'm, any... I was struggling to think if I actually have any book-related news, um, and I really don't, because uh, I haven't managed to read my book for this month's book club yet, and I haven't managed to get very much further in the Odyssey yet, and I sure haven't managed to read any other fucking thing. Uh, I've had a weird, weird month, a lot of uh, deaths and illnesses and starting new jobs, so like, and travel. So yeah, no, not much time for books. Uh, how are you guys? <laughs> I'm doing okay, I guess. I'm working on uh, Dandelion cosplay from The Witcher. I guess we're going to do a group for that. At you know what point, we should hopefully. do? We should read The Witcher books on, on this podcast. <gasps> oh, yeah. that would be cool. I, I haven't read those at all. Yeah, I think they're hard the, to find in English. Yeah, a- Andres Sapkowski or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those have been on my radar since like I started writing for Boomtron like eight years ago or whenever that was. Because wow. that's when they were first kind of like hitting um, the scene over here uh, in America. So yeah. All right, put a pin in that one. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so you're making Dandelion. Uh, I guess I that this is what I say. I'm working on a bunch of cosplay. Oh, surprise! <laughs> what can I say? It's the same. I don't. I never change. Uh, so yeah, working on stuff for Emerald City Comic Con in March, and then Con of Thrones, and then Dragon Con, and then New York Comic Con, and then I'll and then it'll be 2019. <laughs> <laughs> in a nutshell, yeah, yeah. In a nutshell. It's the uh, the hobby that just takes over all of your free time. Yeah. And there's nothing else. It just takes. It's just a taking hobby. Your money, it, your time. But it gives. Your sanity. Look, we're, we're all friends in part because of it. So, you know. That's true. We, uh, we can't discount that. That is true. Speaking of friends, guess who doesn't have any? Hmm. Bren Cameron. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's pretty sad. So we read uh, C.J. Cherry's Foreigner just 
book one of the 19 book series so far. The first book was published in 1994 by Daw. Uh, if you haven't heard me wax poetic about CJ Cherry, uh, then you haven't listened to this podcast yet, but you should. And uh, she's one of my very favorite authors. I got to meet her last year when she won the Science Fiction and Fantasy Grandmaster Award. Uh, she's known for anthropological uh, speculative fiction and uh, a kind of unique writing style that's a little bit limited third person, very stream of consciousness. Uh, and she does like hard sci-fi. She does fantasy, like like sword and sorcery kind of fantasy. Uh, she's really cool, really prolific, been writing since the 70s. I love her. Uh, and we're reading this as a response because we read all the Anne Leckie, Ancillary Justice, and uh, uh, Provenance books. So she has cited C.J. Cherry as an influence. So I thought it'd be cool to go back and read the influence. So guys, what the hell is this book about? All right. Is this my question to answer since technically I'm the, the new reader here? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so essentially, this book is about the interpreter, a uh, diplomat between humans and uh, humans who sort of crash landed um, onto a planet that was already inhabited by an intelligent species, the Atevi. And um, basically it, it follows <laughs> the, the current interpreter's name is Bren Cameron uh, on an adventure uh, to the backwater of the, the current uh, sort of uh, I don't even know like the IG I guess what, what's the equivalent of that like emperor or like president or it's actually like know. lord lord yeah. yeah like okay polit political figure of the group of Atevi that humanity deals with the most uh, his backwater estate and basically uh, kind of being used as a pawn for political revolution and doesn't really know what's going on and neither does the reader until the very end of the book <laughs> and I don't know there's lots of um lots of time spent inside of <clears throat> Bren's spinning thoughts and lots of tea and a few exciting chases I don't know that's the book I'm, I'm not selling this well but um, I used to I always tell people that it's like if Bond were an alien and also in Downton Abbey. <laughs> I think that's appropriate. Eli, you want to take a run at this? Because uh, you, you, you're also like convinced to read the book by Rachel. So, Well, I think it uh, would be appropriate to talk about how humanity gets to where they are before all of the hell breaks loose in the story. Um, so... Basically, it's in the future, and there's light speed type travel, um, and Earth has been colonizing different planets, and they send this colony team out to what has supposedly been probed and determined is a resource-rich planet somewhere, and they've got this fully laden uh, top-of-the-line ship that is just racing breakneck to get to the... I guess their money source as fast as they can. Um, and they've got a, basically all of the technological history of humanity on board this ship. Apparently storage of data is not an issue anymore. <laughs> no, um, no, they have all of it. <laughs> and so they're, uh, they're 
jumping through hyperspace uh, and something goes wrong and they end up somewhere where they have no idea where they are whatsoever. They can't, uh, they can't recognize any of the stars that they see. And um, it's actually like a really dangerous, uh, a radioactive star where they can't, it's dangerous to do any work outside of the ship and they're out of fuel. And um, so they're in a pretty bad situation and it takes them, I can't, I can't remember how long, but it takes them quite a while to get out of that, like maybe generations um, of mining this irradiated area and lots of people die and they uh, eventually are able to get this colony ship somewhere else. They get some fuel and they are able to get somewhere else. And that somewhere else is above what I guess they end up calling Earth, uh, even though they say they shouldn't call it Earth. Um, but it's uh, the Atevi homeworld, and they're, the Atevi are humanoid, uh, dark-skinned, a little bit taller than humans, a little bit more uh, robust, I guess you could say. And uh, they're at steam engine level technology. They've got trains. Um, but humanity is obviously much further along, and they sort of post up in orbit around this planet. And... Uh, by this time, there are two different factions within the humans. There's the people who are descended from the pilots who saved everybody. Uh, or got everyone in the generations. trouble. <laughs> or got everyone in trouble. But yeah, they're descended from the, you know, the, the technologically the crew, proficient like, people. Yeah, the technical crew, yeah. Yeah. And then there's everybody else, you know, descended from, I guess, the rank-and-file colonists. And um, the... Pilots Guild are the people who are descended from the glorious pilots of the past. And they get, they're pretty much in charge of everything. They get the say in everything that happens. And eventually the people who are um, not in the Pilots Guild, they are forced to build this space station in orbit around the Atevi planet. And at some point they get fed up and they decide that it would be better to go to the planet's surface. Um, maybe, Rachel, you could uh, refresh my memory on as why exactly they go down, but I think it's a combination of they're running out of resources and um, they are not in power. It's this pilot's guild that wants to keep searching the stars that's in power and yeah, they all the regular home. people just want to get down to a fucking planet and live. Um, so eventually they... People start heading to the planet on these like antiquated landers. I'm thinking like moon landing type. Yeah, no, they call them the pedal sails. So they clearly had parachutes involved. Yeah, yeah. So it's this ancient landing technology that they use because clearly the pilots' guild's not letting them have, uh, you know, all of the information, and so they use this well, they just old technology. The resources to build anything else. Like okay, they can okay. they can build a little pod with a heat shield and. You know, yeah, and hope for the best. So, yeah. So they get down to the planet and they encounter the Atevi, who are very different. Um, they're very similar in a lot of ways, but they the the way that they uh, interact with each other on a, I I guess you would call the the Manchi is more of like a uh, it's like a herd mentality. Um, 
I know that Rachel can describe this better than me because <laughs> we've had so many conversations about it because it is, it is quite confusing. Um, but the humans are basically at a loss. They don't know the, the language and the, the beings that live there are completely different and they end up having this war. And the result of the war is that even though the humans are technologically just way superior to the Atevi, the Atevi outnumber them and are, you know, more robust, I guess you would say, and martial. other things like the Ox. I would Ox. say martial. <laughs> martial. They are much more martial. Uh, Amer or, uh, not Americans. <laughs> Humans aren't used to the, uh, the uh, oxygen level on the planet. Uh, things like that so they got at least initially they got worn out very quickly um so they're they are always considered very fragile to the atevi who meet them um but anyway they lose the humans lose this war and they're pushed back to this island called mosfira mosfira i don't know i pronounced it one way and then the second time i listened to the audiobook and they pronounced it another way so now i'm all confused um but they got pushed back to this island, and now the current state of situations is all of the humans live on this one island, all of the Ativi live on the rest of the planet, and the only way that they communicate is through this Pidee. Uh, the current Pidee is Bryn Cameron, and it's he's basically a translator, and his main job is he doles out human technology at a slow enough pace to the Atevi is sort of like their rent for staying on the planet um, since they lost the war. And this is now like 200 years after the war. It's worth noting that this is quite a right, yeah, long this is, time, several yeah. generations in, in terms of interspecies diplomacy and well after like the first contact has been made. And now the Atevi have uh, rapidly increased their technology which I guess is not even really that more rapid than on Earth. But they went from steam engines to now they're launching satellites. Um, but Well, they're getting the trickle, uh, right? That was the, the humans lost the war, so their punishment is not only are they exiled to Mosfera, but they are, they are being forced to give up their technology. They have to turn it over. And the, the I say Pady, uh, but the Pady's job is to uh, trickle that out as slowly as possible to keep humans... Uh, at whatever minimal advantage they have for as long as as, as he can, and also mm -hmm. to not give them technology that would aid the Atevi in exterminating them and or uh, fucking up the planet the way that humans did. So, in you know, on, on old Earth. But yeah, I think that's a good... I, I, what I, one of the things I really like about this book, and it's uh, I've been trying to get my boyfriend to read these books for a while, and it, it's actually... I think was one of the reasons that made him put it down, but the, there's kind of like three beginnings to this, to this book. <laughs> no, there's an extended prologue that kind of creates a giant switcheroo. Um, and this right. is not necessarily a, a complaint that I say it that way. It's actually, um, it's, I, I've, I thought about it and I really don't see how you could as effectively have set up the situation, but it goes through it does go through several different characters um through like the phases of sort of failure and hope and genesis um of a new sort of paradigm which is like uh the ship where nobody like they they ended up by at a star they never 
meant to end up at. And then um, the when they finally get to the Atevi homeworld, like, okay, well, we're at least at a safe place where we're not going to all die of radiation. And then um, to the first people, like people coming down to the planet, including the man who actually makes first contact with the Atevi. So really it's four because by the time you get to Bren's point of view, like, I don't know, like you're kind of almost used to like it being like a chapter or two with this person and then they're going to go away. And so <laughs> I actually found it really like hard to care about Bren at first because it's like, well, am I, is this the person and, and are we staying with, with this person or is it just like, you know, he's going to go away again and this is going to be this like thousand year saga, you know, that we get in like drips and drabs from different perspectives. But yeah. at, at the same time, you really wouldn't have like, it's, 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 it's a show not tell you or, or a tell not show. Like you don't, you wouldn't have the emotional immediacy of um, where the humans were coming from if you hadn't sort of watched the progression, you know, through each of those events. Uh, from a human point of view with the human emotions and the, and the needs involved to so like from a sort of storytelling standpoint I don't know how else you could do this and set it up in the same way for the reader to be like invested like for a long-term perspective for but a, it, a really long time because we're on yeah. book 19 <laughs> exactly yeah. but it did kind of create a short-term sort of like dissociation with the, the main character of this book as well yeah, I think there's a lot of payoff with the what, with the way that she did it too, because since the reader sort of lived through these major events, mm -hmm. they have a perspective that's not just exposition, right? And and right later on, there is a lot with the motivations of of these different groups of humans and why people came down to the planet and why some people didn't want to come down to the planet and the mm -hmm. political and you know ramifications of that even hundreds of years later. I still think. I want to. I kind of still want to know whatever happened to Ian Bertano. Right. Like, there's a bay named after him. Like they're always like, "This is Bertano Bay," and I'm like, "Oh, that that's." Oh, Ian. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, like, did he die horribly? Was he successful? Like, did the war start during his like sort of weird tenure, or because he was our first contact guy, right? And mm -hmm. essentially the first Patey and even though he didn't know he was, right? Because right. that was a foreign concept. <laughs> but it's like, he was just kind of just like a dumb scientist who who was like, all was right. At least, he was at least smart enough not to overreact. Yeah, yeah. And I, I well, I think restraint uh, and thinking on your feet is a very, uh, those are very good skills for a Patey. Yeah. Well, one other comment on on the the introduction that I would make is simply it does create a genre flip because you think it's going to be a hard sci-fi story. Yep. Because that's mm -hmm. how it starts. And then suddenly it's not like at all. It's this, no. you know, weird <laughs> like, political tea party in space. Political like, it's a tea party. In it's space. not even a tea party in space. It's like this weird <laughs> political intrigue in like this, court of you know where you're always an outsider and always a stranger and you don't really understand these people and you can't and they can't understand you and it's like hardwired biological differences i mean like the the phrase anthropological science fiction is a hundred percent on point that's what this is you know but it's very different from like the spaceship wormhole 
radiation poisoning building a new space station like conflict yeah. between the the miners and the guild pilots you know that, that it starts with <laughs> yeah i think of i think of phoenix as like kind of like the enterprise where it's like you know we are we are sort of conditioned in our pop culture consumption to like want to care about those the the people who would be the pilot's guild right mm-hmm. the people on the bridge the officers but you know even if you watch like next gen there are civilians on that ship mm-hmm. and no one ever really gives a shit about the fact that they're getting dragged around space and going through all these you know these terrible adventures probably from their point of view and like maybe they go to a nice planet and they're like hey can we get off (laughs) (laughs) and and like from the point of view of the crew it's like okay we had this unexpected detour but we still want to get home they don't have any interest in making landfall they're not they're not planet people they're they're ship people the ship is their home so they don't need to stay anywhere like all the all the all the atevi earth represents is materials supplies and they kind of were trying to abide by that whole like again star trek uh you know idea where it's like you don't mess with the natives and you know except that yeah no contact except with cultures that have already attained space (laughs) right you know yeah they wanted to go to another another like of the shittier planets in the same system and mine that and the workers were like, why? It sucks over there. Like, this is a nice planet. <laughs> Got nice people on it. They're polite. <laughs> They're very polite. <laughs> They're even polite when they're murdering you. <laughs> Do it in a very polite way. They announce it first. Because it's not personal. I I just think it's it's hilarious that they even propose that you know oh this perfectly habitable planet no no you should go over to this planet where you can't possibly live and go mine it for us that's what you should do yeah no I think that they're they're clearly there's a class structure that the these people are not they're just tools to get more materials for the ship they're not people mm-hmm. uh. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and and you do think you're reading something that's hard sci-fi, which is great because CJ Cherry does hard sci-fi very well. And then suddenly you're stuck on a planet thinking about cuffs and lace and tea and riding Machetta across <laughs> across the moors, basically. Um, and yet it's still so alien. She does such a great job of making it feel like somewhere else that you, as a human, just don't belong. Mm-hmm. Well, one one thing that um, it it reminded me of, like I don't know how much you guys have traveled or where you've traveled. Um, I have not traveled extensively, but one of the places I've been is Ecuador, and I am like very obviously a Caucasian uh, American. I'm not blonde, but that's about the only way in which I am not like as white as white can be, um, and. So I just remember, like, I was there for about three weeks. And by the end of the second week, I was so desperate for somebody who was my size and my skin color. Because, like, everybody there was, like, five foot to, like, five five. And a lot browner than I am. And, like, it wasn't 
even in well it's funny that you say that because it's like it's like a herd instinct it's like i want to be the same as everyone else it's like being in high school yeah and and this is something that would literally never have occurred to me to bother me until i experienced it and it was just this sense of alienation and being so obviously other and separate and i was just like i just want to cease i just want to be somewhere where i don't stand out because I mean, for the record, I'm 5'7", which in America is like on the kind of tall side of average or short side of tall for a woman. Like, it's I'm not that tall. But there, like, I was taller than the men. And it was uncomfortable because it was so obvious I was not one of them. And, like, I just like reading this, you know, the book where all the times when, you know, Bren's just like casually noticing, like, the black face or the yellow eyes or whatever. Like, it's just that sense of, like, this isn't he's not looking at human faces he's not looking at people who look like him like it, it doesn't matter how well, much the furniture doesn't them. match like he yeah. can't even go up a ladder like ladders don't match him yeah like, like he's like you know 10 to 20 percent smaller than they are and that doesn't sound like a lot but it matters because the scale is different it's almost like I walking through a, like a medieval castle like yeah i think it's actually it. a little bit more than that because he they he they comment that he's like a child <laughs> uh so i think like that he's like a, an adolescent child so i i i imagine that maybe he's coming maybe because bren is supposed to be tall for a human that he's coming up to like their shoulders mm-hmm. yeah i think that they mentioned that that he, he he came up to somebody's shoulder it might even be just like jago who's not she's not the, yeah she's not as tall as, as Benichi for sure so speaking of let's talk about our favorite characters so uh, <laughs> I made my lists so we have Bren Cameron who's our main character and also our point of view so if he doesn't notice it or if he doesn't know it we don't know it or notice it uh, mm-hmm. which can be very upsetting when he's having one of his uh, <laughs> spiral thought processes <laughs> um so yeah, there's then there's the IG of the Western Association, Tabini. Uh, he is essentially kind of like an emperor, uh, but it's a lot more, more and less democratic because it's it's also like a birthright, and also he was chosen, um, and he's the guy that Bren works for. Uh, he's you know his counterpart on Masfara is the Masfiran president. And so the you know that's it that there does there isn't anyone higher than Tabini. Mm-hmm. Tabini in in Tabini's employ are many many uh, members of the Assassins Guild. Although the the entire Assassins Guild does not work for Tabini, they are their own guild. They're just members whose man she can report to Tabini can work for him. Two of those people are Benici and Jago. Uh, Benici is kind of lead in that partner situation, and they function as Bren's main bodyguards in the story, although they are new to him at the beginning of the story. Uh, we pick up Tano and Algini, who are also guild uh, assassins. Uh, and then we meet one of the best characters in fiction, I think, uh, Tavini's grandmother, <clears throat> the dowager Illicity. So she's his father's mother and it is rumored that she assassinated Tabini's father her son because he was stupid 
Uh, and also in a play for her own power, which didn't work. She ended up, she wanted to rule the, the Western Association. She lost, so she retreated back to her Eastern Association roots because that's where she's from. She had married into the Western Association. So she lost, so she's kind of a political figure, an older political figure, but still commands a lot of conservative power. And then her uh, assassin, her bodyguard main guy is Kennedy. Uh, and then or the, uh, those are all... The audiobook uh, says Senity, so if, if Eli or I say it that way, that's where that comes from. Yeah. Uh, CJ Cherry says Kennedy. <laughs> so, well, obviously there I guess no I'll be changing the way I think of it. <laughs> uh, no, it's really funny because I read these books for many, many years saying things however I wanted to say them, however I thought that they sounded really good, and... Um, like I, I for a long time I said Aiji because I wanted to put an extra like syllable in there because I thought it sounded better. But you know when I hear Carolyn say Ig, then I have to say it that way. <laughs> um. So yeah, those are our kind of main characters. We talked about Ian Bertano, who was kind of our fake out main character for a couple chapters, and then we went ahead another hundred years. Uh, so who's your favorite and why? Gosh, I don't want to be like that guy, but Bren is definitely my favorite. But he's, it's, I mean, it's because you get everything through his point of view. Mm -hmm. um, but I really like how he, I think he's very relatable in that he overthinks everything. Everything. Everything, all the time. He just doesn't stop. He's just always thinking. And it, I don't know, I think it's very endearing. Um, but. Uh, I guess this is a good point to re read the little excerpt I got from the... Uh, oh, yeah, an example of how he thinks. An, <laughs> an example of how he thinks all the time. So... Um, you have to set it up. I'll, I'll preface this with uh, there's some action at some point in the book, and we'll get to it, and it's pretty awesome. Um, but uh, so this is with the context that he is... Uh, He's been interrogated. He's been pretty uh, brutally beaten. Uh, they are trying to escape from pursuers. He uh, has been bombed from the air by airplanes and has seen uh, comrades get blown up. Uh, wait, no, 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 no. No, sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> they haven't been bombed yet. They are about to be bombed, okay? The, the context is he, he's being pursued, and he is very beaten up. He's got a dislocated arm, um, and he has been, like, rehashing the interrogation in his head, like, over and over. He's got some PTSD going on. Um, and they hear the sound of these airplanes that are pursuing them. And, okay, so here's where the, bo the book cuts in. Uh, totally normal train of thought for anybody. Uh, the engine sound came clearer and clearer. Illegal use. Unapproved use. The fire from the air. They designed the stall limits to discourage it. Considering the, that Mosfira was situated as it was, easily within reach of small aircraft. They'd kept the speed up. Not transferred anything to do with targeting. No fuses. No bomb sites. It was the Hades' job to keep a thing like this from happening. There's some description of the plane getting closer, and then he goes into thinking... He didn't know this design intimately. It hadn't been on his watch. Wilson's. It had been on Wilson's tenure. His heart thudded in panic. So, like, this Fucking dude Wilson. is... <laughs> he is... Bryn is fucked up. He has been beaten. He's been interrogated. He's ha 
he's got PTSD, and what is he worried about? He's worried about his job. As planes are flying over and they're bombing him, he's worried about the technical details of this airplane. And as someone who went, uh, I'm an engineer, so I just, I don't know, I like, I like all the technical stuff that they, they put into this. I, actually, I think it's funny. <laughs> I actually had a, the opposite reaction to Bren. He was not my favorite character. Um, here's why. Okay, so for those of you listening, um, like, I don't know, at least according to a personality test, Eli, Rachel, and I all have the same personality. And I shit you not, Bren Cameron also has the same personality. And so it's probably why we all like kind of related to him and like got him. And for me, I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, I do this every day in my own head. I read books to get away from this shit. <laughs> like, I just, I want to slap this dude, friend, fucking get it together, do something. I don't know. Like, it was so hard for me at times because I was like, he's spinning. I know this spin. I, I get it. <laughs> like, it's hard. It's yeah. So hard. <laughs> I, I, here's the thing. When people have asked me in the past, and I've been reading these books since I was 12 years old. Uh, you know, when people ask me, who, what character in, in fiction do you most identify with? I always say Bren Cameron. And when you read the books, it sounds like you're, you're being like, I'm really smart. <laughs> like, I'm so smart that I can do advanced trig in my head in half a second while I'm like doing something else. Like it's nothing. Uh, but that's not why I identify with Bren Cameron. Like, yes, he's incredibly smart, but he's just it's wheels within wheels like mm -hmm. and i'm sure everyone does this but it's just like everything he's looking at he's calculating it no, he's observing it he's picking it up and looking at it from every like what can i do with this what is it doing to me he's insane this is what i'm saying <laughs> this is what i'm saying dudes not everyone does that like that's one of the things that i've learned and like some people do and like it's super awesome that some people do um it's a tool it's a way of being it's not like it doesn't mean you're weird or like insane or broken but it is different and like if your brain doesn't work that way it does like make him seem like really like out there um and but like i can see like i was like man i kind of wish i had found these books when i was like younger because it would have been like oh my god someone in the world gets it like i'm not a, i'm not alone <laughs> i'm not alone you guys. yeah well you know I've, <laughs> I've said this while we were reading ann lecky it's like competency porn right and like mm, bren yes. is not having the best week in this first foreigner book but you can tell <laughs> that he is fairly good at his job right he beat out every other living human on the planet to be to get this job mm -hmm. his boss appears to be happy with his performance until he wakes up being beaten in a basement in Mulgari, but we'll get to that. And then, <laughs> and you know, it's like it's competency porn, and everyone around him is so fucking good at their jobs. I and like it's it's inspiring to see all of these people. I mean, like shit goes down and stuff gets fucked up, but like it's problem solving. You know, like mm -hmm. every book is a problem to be solved by Bren and team. And I love it. They are so they're comfort to me at this point. I read them and I and I just I just want to see how Bren is going to gonna deal. <laughs> you so, know, like, so, so let me ask you this, uh, just for, for, as someone who hasn't read the rest of the books, is Bren like consistently the main character in the rest of the series as well? Yes. 
Yes, they're um, about halfway through the the book so far. Uh, she introduces another uh, point of view character, mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, Bren is still kind of your main character. Um, okay. Yeah, but the so I, it's okay I, I to just, get attached to him is what we're saying. Uh, yeah, I think you can. I mean, you will be very. I call. I like to joke and say that he's kind of an idiot, but he's he's it's because to have his job you have to be kind of an idiot right like mm-hmm. he's he's a savant he's like incredibly intelligent and and good at his job but but it's almost as if sometimes he just stumbles into the right conclusion because he could just have easily have made the another conclusion right so and mm-hmm. sometimes he does and gets himself in trouble and then he has to like scramble to fix it as we see in this story but she she structures it as uh as trilogy arcs so there's okay. two books that come after this. So that's like this kind of this adventure. And then there's another three book adventure and another three book adventure. Um, so they're, they're quite, I think they are very enjoyable reads. Um, I think if you really like historical fiction, you might like them too, just because there's a weird anachronistic kind of quality to these books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I try to get everyone to read them because not enough people read CJ Cherry and she's just wonderful. And I think of all of her books, the foreigner novels are the easiest to get into just because they have the most everyday life in them. I don't know. Uh, have you, Eli, have you read any other Cherry? Um, just Invader, which comes after this. Oh, okay. But not, so just, not nothing not yeah. foreigner. Okay. So, so we all, so I, what I'm hearing from you, Elena, is that you secretly love Bren Cameron, and that's cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, eh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, Jerry's still out. Like, I, I definitely, I mean, I related to him maybe in like a way that was uncomfortable. I guess also because it, I'm not going to lie, like, it was fucking triggering for me, okay, to read these books because I also like have, having studied a lot of the psychology that I've studied, I was like, he's in a, fucking emotionally abusive like situation because all i see is he's bending over fucking backwards every which way to like never offend the atevi and always like see their point of view and they're not even like attempting to see his point of view and that fucking pisses me off you think they're not attempting i i read it as they're not they're not attempting like yeah it was it was very difficult for me like maybe by the very end like you kind of get that um the heart to heart with you know, with Jago and Benici where they're like, we convinced like 10 other Atevi to like follow us and die for you because like we can see the good in you. And like, you finally get like some sort of validation, but like through all of it, it's like, and it's because of the way Bren like spins his thoughts. Like, I think if it were like, he never thinks he's worthy. Right. I think if it were a less, um, in like a less stream of consciousness novel, I might not have had that reaction, but he's always like thinking I did something wrong. It's always my fault. I fucked this up. I'm the one who owes them an apology. It's like, no, motherfucker. Sometimes they owe you the apology. Sometimes, like, it was their failure to even attempt to understand you, like, that caused the problem. Right. And, like, that I, would, I think. I know. think with... I think with the Patey, there's a lot of like experience involved, especially with his job. But what I really like about these books is that he starts out with this, this imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. He, we get to follow his career somewhat. Like I think in the current books, he's in his forties. Yeah. Cause it's, it's so, worth saying that in the, in this book, he's maybe like what, three or four years into to this position. Like he, yeah, he he's talks like about, 24. yeah, he talked about yeah. getting it when he was like 24, 24 or something or maybe he's 25 now and he got it when he was like 22 like he's you know very young yeah he's still very young and so I think that I think that's part of it and you know but for me it was just it was 
also there was a lot of of upset and just like I just want to like shake you like stand up for yourself draw some boundaries here dude it's okay like it's okay to demand things interesting take that's an interesting take (laughs) I just I see the Atevi trying so hard to understand him and just not not getting it (laughs) what do you think Eli I think that the way that they express things is far different it's I mean if you look more at their like the overarching actions and not the you know immediate not the the verbal actions or the you know it's not the same sort of response that humans generally use um but like there's i think there's at one point jago says you know i'll never betray you and ah the line yeah yeah by the way jago is my favorite character and that line was why the end oh i love love her too i love her (laughs) I love her. Salads forever. I, I salad her. And uh. then Benici was talking about how, like, how how they put a lot of work in to get to be his bodyguard, mm-hmm. right? Like, I I think they were comparing it to like. It, the comparison seemed the same as when Bryn was talking about how what he had to do to become the Pity. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm remembering that wrong, but it's like he was, he was like, yeah, I had to beat everyone else to get this job, and it's like sort of the same thing. Well, yeah, and I them. think you spend a lot. So as a reader, you spend a lot of the time in in the story, kind of just trying to figure out what's going on, right? Like, like why is he? Right. Why did he just get packed off to Illa City? What like has Tabini really lost faith in him? What what's what's going on? And you feel like it might be political, but you're not sure what the trigger is. And you you know, and when you start off, Bren is on like a lower level in the in the Bujavid, and he's he's got like a really tiny like little hotel room kind of apartment. He doesn't have servants. He doesn't have bodyguard dedicated bodyguards. And then this person tries to assassinate him, and suddenly he has all of those things, and he's being moved around, and he's being treated as much as probably Tabini is treated. Uh, and it's kind of like, oh, well, maybe Bren is a lot more important than he thinks he is. But he spends the entirety of the story kind of trying to figure out why they're making such a big deal. Like, why do they think I know I'm nobody? I'm nobody. Why do they think? What are they trying to get from me? I'm, I, and it's it's almost like he just doesn't he still doesn't understand. Like, you're kind of a big deal, dude. And <laughs> And instead of trying to examine why he would be a big deal, he's stuck on why everyone else is more important than him. And so he kind of overlooks very obvious signals about what's actually driving the plot of this story. Yeah. Well, part of it is that he's kept pretty much in the dark the whole time. Yeah. But why would suddenly Elicity be interested in him? Mm-hmm. Like. He just doesn't, he always thinks around it. Uh, it's so frustrating, especially when you read it, like, you know, as multiple times as I have. It's just like, oh, my God, you idiot. Like, come on, like, look up. Well, I think it's that he, he I think it's like the cognitive dissonance in his brain that, like, as a human, he wants to matter on an emotional level as an individual mm-hmm. to the beings around him. And the Atevi don't necessarily like emotionally attach the way humans do, or if they do, they express it in such a different way that he can't read it and understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so therefore he can't feel it. Um, And so he's confusing the sense of like himself as an individual 
like being unimportant from like the reality that the position of piety is one that's extremely important. Like he sees himself as completely expendable and like the only thing that kind of motivates him to keep going is that he thinks the person who's like was second in line is like going to fuck everything up. And <laughs> which is hilarious that he would think he's, he's expendable. If and yet also that, he's the only one that can do the job. Can keep it together. Like right. it's, 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 it is this hilarious dichotomy, but I think it's, but I, I, I read it as like, well, he has an ego for sure. You know, that, that he's, he's, he thinks the office is important, but he views himself as expendable because like, if he dies, they just send another piety, you know, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, he is expendable in, you know, the sense of what his personal goals are and what his relationships, you know, that he's developed are, he's not, but like, it's that weird tension of like, yeah, but they're not going to, most favorite isn't going to do anything for me because I'm one human and they're like, what's one human worth against literally the other 300 million of us? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. nothing. They will never come for All me. All Bren wants to do is make like a couple good entries into the dictionary, you know, the Atev- <laughs> the Raji Atevi dictionary. He just wants to, you know, mind his business and you know, maybe talk about slosh baffles in the next meeting. He doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I thought so, that was verboten, guys. <laughs> when it's... Uh, no, I was just joking. Uh, so is since it's Raji or Raji, does that mean I, I this maybe this is obvious? There are, are multiple languages, right? Yes, multiple heavy languages. Yes, there are, and he encounters people uh, who speak dialects that he can and cannot understand. Um, okay, but he's okay. you know a genius, so he figures it out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, but I think I'll, what, so so before we move on to any more plot stuff, I do want to talk about just kind of like the concept of the Atevi. Um, do you, well, for one, you know, the Atevi don't feel emotion as humans do. They don't have, they don't feel love. They don't feel um, emotional attachment uh, that we would associate with love. They have, you know, 20 words for betrayal. They're, the Assassin's Guild are, are, have a parallel function as their society's lawyers. Um, it's like Judge Dredd, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> without all the yelling. Uh, they, they, There's uh, that uh, hilarious uh, scene early in the book where uh, Tabini's riding off on the, you know, on the assassination for, uh, what is it, a wife? wants yeah. to assassinate the husband it's her ex, it's her it ex-husband something... and it has to do with him yeah. like like stealing business affairs and she she literally is like i'd rather kill him and to me she's yeah, like, he's like you could sue him for money for the lost for the damages and make more money than killing him and she's like no i'd rather kill him permission <laughs> <laughs> okay. granted have at yeah as but long it as should you be, file. It should be noted that apparently it is working very well because there are only like 50 people in jail in the whole country so they're doing well, that something also has right. To do with the fact that you have to be especially deviant to commit a crime or to because like they like we were talking about herd instinct before Elena. Like the mm-hmm. my concept of Manchi, nineteen books in, is less of a herd instinct and more of a biological imperative of group. Mm-hmm. Like it's like I am my group. And mm-hmm. my group is shaped like a pyramid and I am, you know, it's like 
you don't it's not lesser it's just like there is a person at the top where all of that all of the man she flows to mm-hmm. and each each association is a pyramid and all of the pyramids are then built into one big pyramid and at the very very top of the big pyramid is tabini right but then you can break off all of the little pyramids and then like that's a family what we consider a family or a, a village or you know they don't have borders they have associations mm-hmm. and they if you are fucking up your association, you're shitting where you eat. Right. Yeah. Like, and like, that's kind of how I think of it. It's less. Cause like, I think they, I think a uh, Bren says that they translate Manchi as loyalty or duty, a duty, I believe. Uh, but it's more that and less of that. It's just like their, it's their entire, it's their entire yeah, worldview. Like, and it's, it's almost less conscious. It's not a, and... it's, Yes, I think that's why the machete are so important because they're basically just like the primitive Atevi, like in terms of behavior. So mm-hmm. it helps you as the reader really understand what's what's going on politically at that moment. Uh, but yeah, so I I'm wondering just from the point of view of you guys, you know, Eli, you've read this is your second read, and Elena, this is your first read. How do the Atevi work for you? You know, what really works, what maybe doesn't work as aliens so i definitely wrestled with the whole manchi idea a lot and so are you saying that it's more like they desire to be in these groups in these hierarchies like it's a feeling like you have it's naturally it's it's their feeling of belong of belonging yeah 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 okay but you choose your you choose your group that you want to be in a they group. They do. They kind of do choose their group. There are examples later on of people who reject their group, who lose their manchi, who who change manchi. I mean, they talk about the the machimi, which is their 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 theater and how it's always like the trope that someone has a secret manchi or their manchi fails. So it's not like it doesn't happen. It's not like when they say biological imperative, it doesn't mean that they don't have a choice. It's just that's how they're structured. Mhm. Like you can if you're alone, that means you're an IG. Like, and there's not many. Tabini is one. Illicity is one. Those are the only two we know of in the story. Or the only character, like, named characters that we meet in the story who are like that. That have no Manchi to anyone else. Yeah, their Manchi does not flow up. It flows down. And it's also very, um, it's very confusing because Bryn, who we're getting all the information through, definitely doesn't have... He doesn't have the right idea 100% on Manji yet. But he certainly has a better idea than most humans. Right, right. He just doesn't know why they keep hitting him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is that one iconic scene. Know. So let's... Uh, just, just on that subject, like my, my, my concept of Manji, I guess, was um, almost more... It's more like honor... Or something, or just like absolute conviction, um, was is maybe like the the emotional uh, point, like that that I was feeling like when they talked about it. It's just like if you're absolutely convicted about like yeah, your commitment, I think that's your, totally in there, or, yeah. or your loyalty to this person or this cause or this group. Like literally, like nothing can ever, you know, violate that or come between that. And I, I mean the cliches is like the only the only thing in my life that i can equate that to would be like 
my feelings for my son. Like I will, I would literally, I would jump on a fire to save him, you know, if, if I had to. And like, that's like the, the closest like human equivalent I can think of to like what my concept of Manchi is where it's like, it's almost, it, it's something it's so like deep and visceral. It's, it's no longer, it, it is no longer conscious. Like if, if that becomes part of you, like it, it, it almost like rewrites, you know, your, your loyalties and your emotions and your sort of psychological landscape. That, that is the thing that is at your core. That is what you die for. Um, but it's complicated though, because like, uh, you know, you can have so many different like Manchi, but they, they have a hierarchy to them as well. So like, obviously not everything can be like that level of conviction. And so that's kind of like, well, what's your true Manchi? Like, what is, what, what is like the, the one that's like at the, at the bottom or at the top, whichever, you know, whichever way it is, like, what's your deepest Manchi? Like, what's your what's the thing for you and do you get do you get the impression that. that right and do you get the impression that when bren point blakes asks people that that that's an offensive question yeah like i mean that's like basically saying like tell me your secret like tell me your secret name or like um you know, because if your enemies know where your man she is, they know like how to manipulate you and control you. Like you would never give like that information to somebody that you didn't trust with everything you have. But they don't have a they don't have a concept of trust. That doesn't that's not a thing. So I, I'm wondering if it's offensive because it's obvious. Hmm. Like if your man she like for example, if Kennedy's man she is to ill a city. Mm-hmm. Then everything, then everything Kennedy does is because it's within her interest, right? Right. So if you go up to Kennedy and you're like, "So, like, where's your manchi?" and he's like, "Is not my entire life, uh, you know, is not everything I do, my position, is that not an obvious?" I mean, there are there are people who have secret manchi, right? And there's like right. little throwaway lines where they have like words that mean uh betrayal but like we would we would put it as betrayal but they translate it as the obvious course taken Mm -hmm. it's like of course they changed because they had to uh I, i don't know it's i wonder if the if this whole thought experiment of the atevi was really just like how do you explain attachment without love like if you remove that emotion how do you would you still have attachment and how would it work yeah I mean, I mean, yeah, that, I mean, that whole thing was like, it was, it was fascinating to me just as like a, uh, uh, again, an anthropo- anthropological kind of question is like, be- I mean, because that's, that's something that is so fundamental to human nature, like emotions and love and, you know, acting mm-hmm. out of emotion and like seeking attachment and like wanting to have a b- sense of belongingness out of emotion and out of emotional bonds and intimacy with other people, not, um, you know, not for any other reason. And, you know, it's something that like Bren keeps sort of like running up against like this blank wall of like, Oh yeah, they don't think this way. They don't feel this way. They don't under- understand this about me, you know, but, um, it's it's so sad when but he's like, I I like them and I know I shouldn't like them, but I like them. Damn it! And I'm human yeah. and I'm allowed. <laughs> and 
you know it's like well yeah. we feel what they feel you feel what you feel Bren go for it yeah <laughs> just but, don't get punched in the face but yeah but it's it's that sense of like culture shock and that that sort of sense of untranslatable things you know and like it it, it was a really good vehicle for that for me uh, so now is the time when I say, well, before I do that, I do want to shout out to Ann Leckie again. Did you, uh, Elena, did you like the part where he signed all the ribbons for the visitors to Melbourne? <laughs> Vestiges. <laughs> Vestiges. The Patey is dripping blood on the floor. The Patey will sit and sign all of these. Sure. I'll stamp them and I'll be nice to these people. <laughs> Hello, little children. <laughs> I'm not scary. <laughs> um, that was the, that was the point. Somebody was like, "Oh, I didn't know he was a like a, a child." <laughs> yeah, it's like, "Oh, he's so small." And then like somebody gets murdered, and they're like, "Ooh, someone just got murdered." <laughs> what an excellent entertainment! <laughs> it's, it's a historical reenactment. <laughs> <laughs> of a guy getting murdered with a gun. Um, so while we're not we're talking about Manchi, so now uh, and I'm sure Eli knows where I'm going is my favorite scene in this in the book, um, the part where Bren decides, "Fuck you, fuck Manchi, I'm going back for my friends." Um, <laughs> was this scene illuminating for you and how people reacted to him? Did it help you? Did it confuse you? What did you think? Because it's my favorite scene in the whole book. I absolutely didn't get it the first read through. <laughs> so if you connect it to Jago being like, I will never betray you. And then like, you know, 12 hours later, he meets up because like he splits off from them, right? Jago uh, and Benici go on to do some other work to keep them safe while Kennedy and Illicity take uh bren with a couple for other bodyguards cross country to try to escape from these essentially kind of conservative uh usurper uprising rebels slash whatever as they're like storming malguri to get to illa city and uh, you know probably to murder bren we don't know and at least get his computer right and he he finally meets and the whole time, you know, he's doing all that spinning thought. He's thinking about the guy, the Patey that came before him and how shitty he was. Wilson, how he can't move his face anymore and nobody likes him. And he, God damn it, didn't control the planes enough to the fact where he could, they couldn't invent bombers. And <laughs> suddenly he's also always thinking about like, oh, I just want to meet back up with Benici and Chego. They're my friends. Where are they? They're, they're going to be here soon. And suddenly they appear, but it's, almost like they appear and immediately Benici is sacrificing himself, right? Like he's in a, there, there's bombs going off. He's stuck. And Jago's like, Oh, he's, he's, he's holding the line for us so we can escape. And Bren's like, excuse. And she's like, we have to go. And he's like, where is Benici? And she's like, he's back there. And he's like, well, we're going to go fucking get him because that's what humans do. Right. We don't leave men behind. Uh, and he yeah. takes off. And he goes to get, and he's and he throws himself into this this area that like what at least at this point like twenty people have been seriously injured or killed or have risked their lives to keep to keep Bren safe, and he's running into the firefight to get <laughs> Benici, and then suddenly Jago's there, and she's like, "God damn it, what are you doing?" <laughs> um, and everybody's mad at him for like. Three chapters after that, just everyone's just pissed off. It's like he just saved his friend and they got out of the firefight and everybody's cool. But God, they're so mad at him. 
and he doesn't know why. Well, I think, like, I, I don't know. It didn't, for me, like, I can see humans being mad at somebody who disobeyed right, orders that right. way, you know, and, like, basically acted on emotion and not logic. And so the Atevi reaction to me, like, really wasn't particularly alien. Like, it was just sort of like, dude, you literally, you have an entire team of people who are putting their fucking lives on the line to keep you safe because you were considered valuable. And, like, the people that you're trying to save are literally telling you that don't, like, undermine my sacrifice fucking i have to make you have to be saved you're the important player here and he's like refusing to recognize that so like i got why they were all pissed off at him like he was reckless and stupid <laughs> like i get where he's coming from but you know that i'm not gonna let you sacrifice yourself for me but at the same time i recognized as, as like it wasn't an alien enough perspective for me because like I think of movies like Saving Private Ryan where, you know, you have, like, the whole team of people that, like, die to save one dude. And he's like, I'm no one to important. One guy, right. And they're like, but you're symbolic and that matters. And we have to save you. I don't know. So, Eli, did, did you have anything that you wanted to say about this before I go on a tirade? <laughs> uh, I, th I think that where it really hits home, the idea of it is actually in the next book, though. When, yeah. when they're talking about it. Afterwards. Yeah, because he's like, someone explain. Um, but you can talk about it. I don't care. I don't, whatever. No, uh, <laughs> Rachel, you're going to do a 10 times better than me. And if, whatever I say, you're going to talk about it anyway. So just, you know, so, get on your soapbox. Just do a, it. There's a couple, there's a, there, there's a couple key things that are said throughout the, uh, before and after the scene about, uh, and I, and I can't remember the actual quotes, but they kind of boil down to, you know, when, when the shit goes down, people like Manchi becomes clear. People, people go in their man in the direction of their Manchi, right? Like mm -hmm. if you want to test Manchi, then you have to create chaos. Um, and that's kind of how I always read this book. I'm like, you know, why are they like? Why would Tabini send Bren to Illicity? Like, you know, and I, it's funny because we got into a text argument because Eli was like, well, I think that he set it up. I think that he used Bren to get political advantage with Illicity. And I was like really offended. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was like, I don't think, I think Tabini's a good person. And I don't, I don't think he, I think, I don't think he stopped what was happening, but I certainly don't think that he set up Bren to be used as a pawn so that he could, <laughs> get up with his grandmother like, <laughs> like if anything it was like it was a test of his grandmother to see like where her loyalty lay well i think i think what he was trying to do is you know elicity at that point had made several runs right she's mm -hmm. an ig so she's a little harder to read and she had already tried to take over like you know tabini's sitting in the spot that elicity wanted right but she hasn't killed him yet right so She's probably, at least their associations, probably Venn diagramming in some way. And I think he, I think he saw an opportunity to get Illicity to Venn more, like to, to get mm -hmm. her diagram a little bit more over his diagram, um, because to, she's a conservative. To convince, to convince her of 
the Capades usefulness. The Capades usefulness, the new way of thinking, new technology, new political uh, alliances, like just progress in general, right? Because she's clearly a conservative, old-fashioned lady. She's living in a a 2,000-year-old a, a fortress that doesn't have running water half the time. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, she's, she's old way, school. <laughs> personal interruption, because I'm not drinking tea. I'm drinking the human-safe liquor. That just reminds me of my own house, which is currently without water uh, because we had a pipe God. burst in oh. the fucking freeze. And so, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, cheers to that, Elicity. Girl after my own heart. Yeah. I feel you. Make sure there aren't alkaloids in your alcohol. Yeah, the good stuff. Yeah, this this was the bottle I brought from Nosfera. Bren did that to himself. Bren did that to himself. Do we all agree? <laughs> Do we all agree that when, when Kennedy was like, you want this tea? Okay. <laughs> and then he threw it in the fire. <laughs> and Bren's like, oh, shit. <laughs> anyway, I have a point. So what I'm, I think what I'm trying to boil down to is that they've created all this chaos. They've, put, they've, they've sent Bren into, a, a, into space that he doesn't really occupy. He's not familiar with it. There's new people. There's new associations. There's new loyalties. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because they clearly need to get him out of Dodge because they were trying to deal with this new information on their own. And they didn't want Bren's influence or opinion or help at that moment. Right. Because how useful can he be if he's about to be dead? Right. So all of that's going on. So that's kind of like the on earth political like structure. But I think what it teaches us about Manchi is that if someone's Manchi is not apparent, then they're either lying, which means they're kind of insane, or they might be an IG. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's how they treat Bren. I think he gets treated like an IG. And I think... I think the important line or one of the important lines is when Cinnity is like, Dago, keep him on a leash. And she's yeah. like, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know yep. what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do. And, and when he, when in that firefight, when he goes back to Benichi, I think what it indicates is they think that they had figured him out, right? Like, you know how like Bren's mm-hmm. like, I've got Manchi figured out. They're like, we've figured it out. We just, all humans are IGs. Right. They don't feel it. They're all that they're all like Tabini. They're all like Illicidian. That's how we'll treat them. Mm-hmm. But then he immediately ran back for someone whose Manchi should be flowing up to him. Mm-hmm. And that's confusing. Uh, and I think that's why they got so mad because they were like, no, like, that's not how an IG functions. You're being crazy. You're being like you're <laughs> acting you're acting like deviant and it's upsetting. And they they're just. And I think they also have that instinctive to like instinct to push. If someone's manchi is not apparent, then you push them to see which direction they go. And so they keep doing that to him, right? They mm-hmm. even physically hitting him to be just to be like, stop it. Like where what are you trying to do and why are you using us and why aren't you making things clear for us? That's your job, you're an IG. Uh so that's how I kind of interpret that. I could be wrong. I mean you can discuss, I mean, Manchi is still discussed in, in the last books. Like, it's just, it's a fascinating conceit that she's created for these books. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I actually, like, that's a really fascinating um, 
to me read on how the Atevi were interpreting his actions because I, I like it's not I mean I guess I also just hadn't had enough like time and context with you know of of, of the Atevi culture to like to have picked up on that level of nuance but I, I like I was just sort yeah. of like floating along with Bran like I can't really figure them out and you know they have they have reasons they're not irrational but they're mad north northwest and just because there's a reason for it doesn't mean it's not still mad to me from my perspective Mm -hmm. so like that that's a really interesting to me like like thought process that that was what they had 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 assumed that he was or that humans in general were um and i don't know just like i'm having a mind blow moment I don't know, Eli, you say something. <laughs> I mean, I have read all it's, of them. <laughs> it, also, her opinions may have been grafted onto my brain because after the first time I read it, she yelled at me via text for like an hour about how dumb I was. So <laughs> I've already, I've probably already lived through this podcast before, so it's fine. Oh. I didn't really get it either. I think you need to finish that first trilogy because you've only read Invader, right? So you've read... Right. No, I'm going to reread Invader. Yeah, it comes together. So how long did it figure out? Before, I just want to go after that. After this, I just kind of want to go into our favorite bits. We've talked Mm -hmm. about Nanshi and associations and and how Pades work and filing intent and um we didn't really touch on how like obsessed the Atevi are with numbers but their their entire language is based on numbers like you they're the 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 syntax and and grammar changes depending on who's there and how many things you're referring to they're just really obsessed with numbers uh which is why we keep saying that Brenna's so smart because he has to do all this math just to just to have the correct grammar um but one of the things that I did want to talk about before we stopped was um, what, well, what, so what do you guys, how, how like, all right, at what point did you guys figure out that it's not about, I mean, it is about politics in the East, but it was all being triggered because the humans were back, that Phoenix was back. Uh, when the spaceship showed up. When, when they, when when friend realized the humans were back, <laughs> yeah, I mean okay. that that but for me. I, I, no, I don't. I don't have a smart answer. Sorry, no, no, uh, that's yeah. that's fine. Because like I, I've I've enc- I did. I think the first when the first time I read it, I didn't know. Like that was like like fuck. Like when he when he looks up at you know up at the space station, and he's like he's like there's a little kind of weird shaped now that's strange and it's like oh fuck the ship is docked at the space station and that's supposed to be like nobody lives up there like right. and suddenly there's humans and they're back and not only are they back but the way that he's grown that humans have grown up for the past 200 years is to distrust those humans that yeah. are back right that's the pilot's guild they're well, bad even even from a reader perspective you mistrust them because those are you know, those are the guild. Like those yep. are the ones I mean, that, that went to the other. They're planet. clearly abusing the power, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like so I mean, it's not. I mean, it maybe is a little biased the viewpoint we get, but it yeah. seemed pretty clear that they were. Well, I mean, I it's. 
it's a it's a viewpoint that they are self-interested and their interest is um we want to keep exploring the stars and exploiting resources and maybe find well, they our want way to go back home and they want to, to go where they're supposed to be you know, yeah exactly to, to i mean they have their own agenda and um I don't know, like, they're they're pursuing that, and they had their own little, like, cold moon or cold planet or whatever on the, on the uninhabitable uh, rock with, you know, that they, that they had moved their station to, and so now they're back, and it's just sort of like, well, if you're a human on the planet, like, obviously you're going to mistrust, like, why the, why the fuck are you back? Who are you? Are you from 200 years ago, or are you the descendants from 200 years ago, and we've had no contact contact in all this time our cultures have diverged our priorities have diverged you know what commonalities do we have i mean we're still human but what the fuck are you here for Mm -hmm. like you know well like no but that's true and like from their point of view it's like we told you fuckers not to go down there it's not your planet you're gonna fuck it up and oh look you had a huge war and you fucked it up so you know from their point of view too, the colonists are not colonizing the planet that they said that they would. Mm -hmm. They have interfered with and possibly harmed and definitely altered a culture and people that Mm -hmm. they shouldn't have. I mean, yeah, I I agree. I'm not like a huge fan of the guild either, but yeah, but their perspective isn't necessarily invalid either. Right. Yeah. Um, the, uh, but I remember that it like gives you chills just to be like, Holy shit. Yeah. Phoenix is back. And then suddenly all the like the last two hundred pages, which you thought has been about Tabini and Illicity just kind of like consolidating power, shifting alliances or, you know, doing its heavy things and somehow Bren's caught up in it as a as a you know, it's like, Oh no, 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 this is about me. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the, he's the he, most important person around. He's literally the most important person around and now suddenly you're like, oh, this is why you've got these badass bodyguards that, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, from, from the outside observer, it's obvious that something is going on and that, yes, Bren is very much being kept in the dark. And I actually found, like, I don't know, Bren's sort of, like, willful denial of that. Like, that almost, like, stretched plausibility. Because it's just, like, it's so fucking obvious that something political is going down. Like... I think that's why she has him get beat up so much because it can be like yeah. that plausible deniability is kind of like, well, he's having a really hard time. <laughs> he's got like yeah. a broken arm, a dislocated shoulder. He's been hit and knocked unconscious. He's been poisoned. He almost died. He puked his guts up. He's having to poop in a hole. Like there's not, he's just not having his best time. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, it's just making otherwise... him ride weird horses. He's very achy. He's got blisters. They're pussy. Like, yeah. Just yeah. And by by the way, Brent, I feel you. The first and only time <laughs> I've ridden a bike as an adult, it was the Chewbacca's <laughs> parade while I was pregnant. And holy crap, my lady bits oh, were sore for a week after. Like, I feel you, my dude. Ow, that hurt. Oh, Nakata and her and her willful. She's trying. <laughs> she wants. She wants to be up there. Uh, oh well coincidentally i was actually gonna say like that was one of my favorite parts was the uh um the the hunt like the first like riding scene where he figures out like most of the way through it that it's kind of a test and that they actually had treated him like a very high-ranking guest with a lot of honor 
and it's like it's, it's a moment where you as the reader get a glimpse of how good Bren actually is at reading situations and diplomacy even when he thinks he's like fucking it up that like <laughs> he manages to actually get the respect of every single person that was there and like um kind of get them on his side and like that was that was one of my favorite scenes was uh was the first like ride that they take out on the I don't even Macheda I, I don't even know they go up the hill and yeah. he's like oh shit oh shit there's he's like we're going off a cliff we're going up yeah cliff. well it, it, for me it was it was it was specifically the moment where like Nakata like catches up to Babs and he's like wait a minute like these horses for lack of a better word like have a hierarchy and yeah. they put me on the second like ranking the animal like that means they're like I'm second to illicity here a s- a second ranking animal that has dreams of being the first, right? Mm. <laughs> or was she oh. or was she like third ranking that had dreams I of being the first? I thought it was more that she was Yeah, I thought it was maybe she was further down the line and she just really wanted to be the one next to Babs. But why? I don't know, maybe. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> um so what favorite scenes uh tie between Kennedy kicking a guy dead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Bren saving the day by tossing a rock. Uh, you know that scene in um, The Fifth Element where it's at the end where the bombs are going off and Bruce Willis's character is like stuck in the in the opera house and he, there's that deaf guy in like the poofy deaf guy and he's like he's like throw me the bomb throw me the bomb it's like a gun or he's like he's like toss me the gun and the guy can't hear him so he, he picks up a little ball and he just rolls the ball at him and he's like i did it i did it <laughs> that's how i think of that scene when bren is like i'm gonna throw this rock <laughs> what i mean really what did he think was gonna happen i mean he should have just he could have easily just stood up and said hey i'm over here like it would have done the same thing <laughs> but he was like no i'm gonna throw a rock i'm gonna change the situation with this rock uh also uh, benici uh killing people with a pipe with his leg broken like how did he get on the ship like no one will tell me how he, the plane how did he get on the plane it's just like suddenly he's on the plane killing people and locking them in a bathroom it's like he, he just used his down. arms he pulled himself up the ladder <laughs> he just pulled himself up the ladder and killed people with the pipe he found and then shoved their bodies in the lavatory that was the best part. They were like, how many people can this plane carry? And they're like, this many. And he's like, great, we'll keep the bodies. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so they're just flying around with dead guys in their, in their sucks. Uh, the dead guys are not in the lavatory. It's the living ones that are in the lavatory. Yeah. But... And they're like, well, I'll hold it. It's fine. We don't need to pee. I don't know. My, my, my other favorite moment, and it was such a sad one, was when Bren's like, I didn't think of Barb. I was, I thought I was going to die, and I didn't think of her. Fuck Barb. Shit. Fuck Barb. <laughs> That's telling. <laughs> like, I don't know. Somehow that one, like, No, seriously, <laughs> fuck Barb. Um, I, get, I take it she comes up read later. The, read the next book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, he doesn't care about her that much. She's She ain't the one, so. No, she's. Well, I think what Barb represents in the story really is his human life. Uh-huh. And he doesn't want it. He doesn't want his human life. Like, even when he thinks about himself in Mosfera, he's just thinking of skiing. He's thinking of the snow. He's thinking of, like, the, like, he just doesn't, 
know, can't wait has... to get away from my family. His, his, his family that he thinks is so horrible. And it's like, they're really not that bad, dude. Like, uh, I know. I, fuck Barb, though. Um, no, I just, yeah, that that's such a powerful scene where he's got the gun to his head and all he can think of. I and mean, he keeps flashing to that, too. He's like, there's something wrong with me. I'm turning into Wilson. I'm dying. Like, I have no emotional attachments anymore. All I can think of is the snow and the peace and the quiet. One moment that I thought was really funny, not necessarily like a great moment, but I thought it was pretty funny, was um, so it shows Tabini's sense of humor. There's these, uh, I guess they call them the number counters, but they're uh, sort of more radical groups that, you know, the numbers have to be perfect. They have to be felicitous numbers for everything. And um, uh, I guess they think, uh, these radical groups think that uh, the human space station is going to come down and start blasting everyone with lasers. Um, and so anything that they send to the space station, anything they communicate, is closely watched by this, these more extreme groups. And they, they're, more, they're like flat earthers. They're looking for any <laughs> excuse uh, to go off on go, gonna, go, go off on Tabini. They're going to pop the atmosphere and we'll all die. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so uh, Tabini's response, uh, being like king of the most powerful association, basically, his response is, "Oh, we'll just send some fake data up there to, you know, fuck with them." <laughs> it's like that's his response to this like incredibly serious situation. Like these are the same people who end up like bombing them later in the day, or in the in the book. And they, they even, I think they, they ask him during the interrogation. Yeah. Are you about are you the numbers? Fake numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they definitely had caught on to it, which was, I think, the best part. Like, <coughs> like, because that, to me, that yeah. was a hilariously like practical, like pragmatic, like just kind of like, eh, we'll just like, you know, kind of beat these, beat these primitive fuckers at their own game. Like, we'll just throw some un- infelicitous numbers in the string and like, they'll back off like it's fine or felicitous numbers or you know, overly felicitous numbers right to make it seem fine yeah yeah. either way like whatever whatever the situation calls for like we'll do that and then like it'll leave them guessing and they won't take any action and then they're like were you making up numbers were you inserting numbers <laughs> like obviously they understand. Like, are you inserting numbers into this space yeah and he i love how he like starts out really polite and he's like no naughty no i don't know i i'm just doing my job what do you want and at the end of it, he's like go fuck yourself and go fuck your mother and go fuck it's like... and he's like they're probably fucking recording me i don't even care fuck you like... he's like i've given them what they wanted god damn it uh poor poor bren and when he realizes that one of the guys that well, so the, it's the Eastern people that like actually beat him. But later on, when he realizes he's being taken, and he's like, "I have to pee. I have to pee. Where's Benichi? <laughs> Tell Benichi I have to pee." And like they, they're like, "Okay, fine. You can go to the bathroom." And they take him to the bathroom, and then he's kind of like roughed up a little. Like those people who belong to Illa City, he realizes later that those are like people that are trying to keep him alive, and it's like right. Really, it's just like strange because it's not a human thing to do. It's just like it's like, but you, it's like, are you with me? Are you against me? And 
it's it's very emotional it's 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 i think it's strangely emotional because he feels very isolated and it mm-hmm. feels like his emotions are the only emotions that are happening but we know that's not true like benici and kennedy have that argument and it's really un- it's like whoa like who like you can tell that benici's trying to maybe pull rank a little but like who's kennedy we don't know how important he is and- right they're just kind of co- co-workers but with different manchi it's 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 just interesting i i don't know i think these books are amazing uh other good scenes i think i like that at the beginning he characterizes tano and algini as higher higher level servants who are not interested in you know, coming down to these garden apartments. Thank you very much. <laughs> and he's just, I'm like, yes, they're your snobby people who are going to, can you imagine these people can like build bombs and like assassinate people. And he's, they're like pressing his socks and like <laughs> braiding his hair for him. He can't get dressed on his own. He de- No, he, he, he makes a very clear point that he bathes himself and dresses himself. He, you know, He's very proud of that. <laughs> oh, that changes. <laughs> His outfits get more elaborate. Uh, any anything else you guys want to talk about? I mean, I kind of I kind of feel like I'm pretty complete, but I have a question for you, Rachel. Is this discussion everything that twelve year old you wanted? <laughs> 12 year old me wanted nothing more than to like giggle about how handsome Benichi is. Oh, 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 here's, here's one of my favorite moments. Okay. So after the first time I read foreigner, uh, Rachel opened up her heart and said that her, uh, her head cannon for Benichi is, uh, Idris Elba. So you, when you read, foreigner that's what you have to think you have to you have to read it with that in mind he's just because he's got that dry sense of humor where he says things and you're like i think that was a joke you know like <laughs> i think half of what he says is a joke oh half of it's... what he says is a joke I, like benichi is hysterical like he'll walk in and like sit down and like have a you know he's drinking and like just like really tired and and, and bren's always like i don't think they sleep i don't i don't know they're never off <laughs> like what are they he's paying attention to what they're wearing all the time because i think he's trying to figure out when do they change outfits do they have different outfits like how long have they been awake and like there's this moment where he's like he's like i don't know jago's like mad at me and i asked her if like you know she was a salad or if the moon could give her feelings because he's just like <laughs> drunk and like asking her dumb <laughs> questions and trying to offend her but also not and she's very like agreeable so she doesn't get super offended because she's fairly progressive and then like Benicia's like oh just humor us you know escort's really fucking boring <laughs> it's like that's his whole job is to escort him around so it's like your whole job's boring cool even when you're getting bombed by slosh baffles I love them but yeah Benicia's awesome that, that reminded me of uh, another good moment and that was the uh, he was talking to Janana which is one of the one of the servants at Malgiri mm-hmm and he was telling, because he was just yeah, like, historic you know, his feelings were overflowing out into his mouth. Um, but he was talking about how he wants a future where a Tevi go to space with the humans together. And uh, 
he was talking about, we'll, we'll go to the moon. I want to see us, we should, we, you know, I want to see a Tevi go to the moon with us. And, and then, uh, yeah, and then he was talking to either Jago or Beniti later, and they were mentioning, they was like, oh, yeah, he mentioned something about taking Janana to the moon with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're very literal people. I think, I don't yeah. know if it's in this book, but there's another book, and he's talking to Benici, and he's just, like, talking about, he's talking about the sun, and, and he realizes that Benici doesn't know that the sun is a star, and, and... Benichi's like, what do you mean it's a star? He's like, it's a star, like all the other stars. And he, and like Benichi's always like, well, what good is that? Like, what kind of information is that to know? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, they just don't. It's weird because they're polite, they're educated, but they don't. They just don't have. They don't have that weird, hu- very human explorer's spirit. You know, it's like, what's over there? I have to go over there. Um, they just don't. They seem to lack that a little bit. Uh, other good scenes. Uh, well, I, I think it's important to note that, you know, one of the strongest memories that Bren has is is learning to shoot, to Beanie, teaching him to shoot, even though it's against the treaty law for a human to have a gun. Uh, and he always thought, oh, it's because I'm cool and I'm in with Tabini. And he, you know, actually, Tabini's trying to arm you against a, an inevitable future. Uh, <laughs> so I'm assuming that when they were at Tai Bin or how, however you pronounce it, mm-hmm. and he was teaching him to shoot, that's probably like the moment that they noticed the that Phoenix had returned, or that Phoenix was inbound, right? Like they could see they're not they have a little bit of technology. It's not like right, right. Like you can see if they can see another planet, then they can see if a ship is like that close. But yeah, that's probably when that all started. Uh, but yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, 12 year old me just wanted to talk a lot about how, uh, handsome and funny she thought Benichi was and how cute it is that Jago, Jago can't stop touching, uh, Bren's hair. She touches him <laughs> all the time. She's always and got her she, hand in his hair. Well, he, she asks him if he's propositioning her at one point. Yes. It's, and then yeah, he's it's really cute. And then, like, Benichi says something about how um, she's she likes his hair. He's like, he's like, oh, you've got, she likes your, because his hair is brown and everyone else has black hair. So she's like, he's like, oh, she likes your hair. But more importantly, he uh, has curly hair, which comes up a couple of times, because I think Felicity comments yeah. on it, too. Um, so, like, here's a question I had, was, like, that moment where Jago's, or Jago is like, are you propositioning me? Like, was she offended that he wasn't? Like, was she hoping? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything. Though. <laughs> uh, well, I'm. I mean, the, the romantic in me is like, I don't know. Maybe Jago does have a super crush on him, and that's sort of like it's because it's explicitly stated that we don't know anything about these heavy mating like rituals or behaviors and so when she's like i will never betray you Pidey. like i don't know is that like her declaration of manchi like to him you know or like some kind of intention and he's like you know <laughs> like he's human it's going right over his head like i don't know that occurred so, to me uh, but... <laughs> you guys know that i have this tattoo on my arm right and mm-hmm. it's it says manchi holds um 
that's a it's it's from one of my favorite lines in one of the later books so i think that's a really smart thing to say about manchi in general <laughs> all right uh so what what's up next elena now that i've made you read one of my faves oh all right well i couldn't uh i could not come up with something that like thematically fit um so i'm just gonna like go ahead and uh and make you read the book that i've been like telling you for i don't know like two or three books now that i was gonna make you read and then changing my mind at the last second so it's kind of a flip because it's going back to like some urban fantasy but um okay i'm gonna make you read the first matthew swift book uh which is uh, a madness of angels and it's um I don't know, just, I, in a way, you know what, I'm going to link it to the uh, anthropological speculative fiction, because this book will make you rethink living in a city. It will make, like, it is an anthropological study of what the actual magic of cities would be. Um, so, I don't know, we can we can add that to, like, our lenses through which we're examining the text. But it's by Kate Griffin, A Madness of Angels. Um, I hope you like it. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, you've mentioned this book before, and I think it is appropriate because Cherry is known for her for the level of her world building, mm -hmm. the depth and detail of it. So yeah, if that's the if that's the yeah, way I, you I want to go with it, it seems like a, a good response. Yeah, I, I would say this book is definitely. Is one... there tea? <laughs> well, it's set in London, so <laughs> uh, there's probably tea that happens somewhere, or maybe he's just like spends the whole book looking for it and like wishing he had it. Um... <laughs> But no, like this book is definitely, it's, it's, it's world building. It's actually, it's, I'll, I'll warn you now, it's a little bit slow to get started. The first time I read it, I think I needed about a hundred pages to like kind of get, get into the rhythm of it and sort of get a feel for it. But once I did, like I read, you know, read three more books and never looked back and was grateful I did. So I hope you enjoy it. Cool. All right. Well, Eli, thank you for joining us for talking about foreigner i've only been like i think i agreed to do rtfb because i eventually knew that i was gonna make <laughs> someone read foreigner Aww. and talk to me about it so i'm really glad that i had two people to talk to um Yay. i'm glad that you uh both seemed to enjoy it and i hope you read more of them and you can always hit me up to talk more about foreigner. <laughs> definitely will definitely will because we didn't even get to the amazingness of Algini and Tano, and they're the coolest, but you don't even get to their coolness until, like, the third trilogy. Yeah, I have zero concept of their coolness, so. <laughs> so cool. You, they're really, they really are. Well, Algini's cool. Tano's kind of a, Tano's fine. I love Tano, but he's, like, the funny one. <laughs> so, all right, cool. Uh, so I will see you next time for A Madness of Angels. All right. Sounds good. Bye. 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 Bye.